Well, good morning. Hey, as good as that sounded, that last song, I kind of just wanted to, I, I just wanted them to keep playing, you know, like I felt like that might be more beneficial for everybody than hearing me speak, uh, but that's not what we're doing this morning. So, hey, uh, students, it looks like most of you have figured it out, but students grades 6 to 12, you can now uh, head up uh, and Philip will be waiting on you up there. Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway. My name is Brian Dillon and I am the Taze Valley Campus Minister and it is uh, an honor to be here this morning, to be able to share the stage with uh, these amazing people and to be here with all of you here this morning as well. You know, last week was Easter and it was an exciting time. What a week it was here at Gateway. It was so great to see so many of you come out and I loved seeing uh, the family photos of people at church. Like it was just a great thing to see. Uh, in my small group last, this past week, we, we talked about Easter traditions, and I just asked people, like, what did you have for Easter dinner? You know, my family has always been a ham family, but uh, I used to think Christmas was a ham-exclusive holiday, and then I found out people have all kinds of different things, and I thought, well, what about Easter? And a lot of people said ham, and then one of my people said that they had tacos, and I was like, I've never heard of tacos being any kind of special meal, but especially like an Easter tradition, uh, they had tacos. And uh, so I was talking about them, and then, it, and then it hit me. I realized why they had tacos. I said, I get it now. You had tacos because on Easter, Jesus took away your sin. And uh, it all made so much sense. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, I had to warm you up. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. How many of you, you know, before you get to church, especially if you come to the first service, look, like, it's early, and you haven't really decided, it, not, not enough has happened to decide how the day is going to go. So you might roll in here, and you're like, it's, it's up in the air. Could be a great day. It's beautiful weather outside. Could be a bad day. I, I'm just, I, I'm still undecided. For me, I, I drove here this morning, and I was in good shape. I thought this was going to be a good day. I was excited to come and preach the word to, to you all, and then... I didn't have these shoes on yet, and I pulled in the parking lot there across the street at the post office, and I went to tie my shoes, and I pulled, and the shoelace broke in half and came off my hand. I said, oh, it's going to be one of those type of days. All right. All right. This is, this is great. And so I've made do. I, I've tied, and, uh, and here we are. I have shoes on at least. Uh, but uh, let's hope that this sermon is going to be better than a broken shoelace uh, sermon this morning. You know, uh, Easter was, like I said, it was amazing last week, and we want to thank you all for helping us make last weekend the biggest Easter attendance ever in the history of Gateway Church. Uh, we had, yeah, it was awesome. We had 1,537 people across all of our campuses, and man, it's, yeah, that's uh it was awesome. It's awesome not because we get to brag about our attendance numbers or anything like that. It's awesome to see that many people in church, especially after the last couple of years. The last couple of years have not been good for people being in church, and it was so good to see that many people. And you know what? We hope that we can continue to build on the momentum that God has been building through Gateway Church. You know, just the Sunday before, Palm Sunday, we had just over a 1,000 people in attendance across all our campuses, which is the first time we've ever been over a 1,000 on what we would call a normal Sunday. So it's not just Easter. Easter was awesome, but I'm telling you, God is doing something great 
through Gateway Church. God is good, my friends, my friends, and he gets all of the glory. This isn't about us. This is about what God is doing. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do next here at Gateway and in all of our communities. And I hope, I hope that we're ready. I hope that we're ready to be used by him so he can work through us to reach lost souls for Jesus Christ, or maybe bring people that knew Jesus once back to him. That's what this is all about. This is our mission, and that's why we're excited about 1,500 people, 1,000 people, because people are hearing about Jesus maybe for the first time. Now, today we're wrapping up our series called The Road to Redemption, where we've been going through the Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter's life, and we've been looking at how the life of Jesus Christ affected and impacted Peter. And, you know, we've seen Peter go through his, this road. He's gone through a transformation, and he's, he, he has been restored, and he's just been on his own road to redemption. You know, Peter he had his ups, and he had his downs. And, and though he would still struggle, he never quite fully figured it out. He would still struggle later in his life with favoritism for the Jews over the Gentiles. He became the rock that Jesus knew he could be from the first time that they met. Jesus saw the potential for what Peter could become, and Peter lived up to it eventually. Peter found his redemption in Jesus Christ, just like all of us. You know, Jesus, he never quite left people the same, did he? And when it came to those who would be leading the charge of the Great Commission to share the gospel with the whole world to the ends of the earth, Jesus took great care in turning these unschooled, ordinary men into men who would help turn the world upside down. And Peter was chief among them. Last week in our Easter sermon, we read from John chapter 21, events after the resurrection, when Jesus appears to his disciples and specifically to Peter. And before we get to our main text in 1 Peter this morning, I want to go back to John chapter 21 this week and read the verses that immediately follow the do you love me exchange between Peter and Jesus. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 18 of John 21, where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked and you, dress, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is Jesus talking to Peter. 19 says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I don't know about you. I, I, have you ever wanted to know kind of the details, the when and how of your death? You know, you can maybe want to know the when because you would know how much time you have. You're like, you got a bucket list and you're like, man, I'm going to have, I'm going to do all this stuff because I've got eight years, four days and 37 minutes to, to live, right? Or hopefully longer, you know, but, but you've kind of have this idea. I want to have all this done. I have all my affairs in order. I want to make sure my will's done to make sure that I'm passing down th these things down to people. I don't want any messes. I just, I want to know, right? Or maybe it would be good to know the how of your death, because then like, you're going to avoid that situation at all costs. You're like, ain't no final destination thing happening to me. Like, I'm not being around that log truck. I'm not, being, I'm not going bungee jumping anytime soon. Like, I might not know the when, but I know the how, and I ain't getting anywhere near that, right? And so, you know, some, you might you wish for those details so you can plan in advance or avoid it at all costs. 
You know, for me, I think I'm good. I think I'm good with it being a surprise. Surprise me, God. Take me when, take me however you want. Because, you know, I'd always have like that countdown hanging over my head. What if I'm not like, you're like, man, I just went to work again today. I wasted another day. I only have 1,600, you know, like I only have so many days left and I'm, I wasted it today. Like that's all, all I did was change poop diapers. That's what I did today, right? And you're like, man, I, I could have been like parasailing and I did this instead. But so I'd always have that hanging over my head. Or if I only knew the how, I'd be like freaking out with anxiety anytime I was forced to go anywhere near that situation. Now, maybe I'm different because I also don't like movie spoilers or like for TV shows either. So like, I'm good with not being spoiled to the end of my story as well. But maybe I'm just different. Maybe you would rather know. You know, for Peter, Jesus didn't tell him the when, but he does tell him the how. He said, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, you might read that and read it a little bit different. You may not think on first glance that he's talking about his death. It might, it might be read as like a reference to Peter being an old man, having to be carried around by somebody else, maybe against his wishes. Maybe he doesn't want to go to the places where these people are going to take him. Or maybe his mental faculties would be gone in his old age and he wouldn't be able to speak, wouldn't be able to express his wishes. <clears throat> but scholars actually believe that this verse is a poetic foreshadowing of crucifixion, which is how Peter would eventually die as a result of spreading the gospel. And as scary as that possibility must have been for Peter, and at least there was comfort in knowing that he would not denounce his faith once again in the toughest of times. This time, I will not deny him. This time, I will die for my faith. And the conversation between Jesus and Peter continues on in verse 21, where John says, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about, what about this guy? What about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. <clears throat> And this caused a rumor among the other disciples that John wouldn't die until the Lord came back. And well, since they all died before he did, <laughs> they didn't know any better. They all went to the grave thinking, maybe he is going to live until Jesus comes back. But John knew that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was instead pressing Peter to, to refocus, focus on what you need to do. Focus on what Peter needs to do and stop worrying about what the others are called to do. In other words, Jesus was basically telling Peter to slow his roll and stay in his lane. And what was Peter's lane? Well, Peter would become one of the leaders of the early church. And in Galatians 2.9, Peter says that, or Paul says that along, Peter along with James and John, they would become pillars of the church in Jerusalem. And as we've said, Peter wasn't perfect. But through his transformation and his restoration, he grew into the role that Jesus had been grooming him for, into the man he wanted him to become. Throughout the New Testament, and mostly in the book of Acts, we see how instrumental Peter was in sharing the gospel and in the, er the growth of the early church. A church tradition tell told through a late first century leader named Clement of Rome tells us that Peter was eventually arrested during the reign of the great Roman emperor Nero just after the great fire of Rome. And he stretched out his hands just as Jesus said he would. This happens around 65 AD, which is also when the apostle Paul was killed. 
According to a man named Origen, who was an early second century church leader, Peter was crucified by the Romans and he requested to be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified and be killed in the same manner as his Lord. The first century Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote that the the Romans crucified criminals in various positions just because they felt like it, just for fun, just for sport. And so tradition shows us or says that they did accommodate Peter's request to be crucified upside down. Early fourth century church leader Jerome, he says, at Nero's hands, Peter received the crown of martyrdom being nailed to the cross with his head toward the ground and his feet raised on high, asserting that he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Before Peter died, though, he shared his account of Jesus' life with a young Christian man named Mark who recorded it for the early church. And the gospel of Mark is believed to be the earliest and first Gospel, And it became a reference point for Matthew and Luke as they wrote their Gospels. In addition to that, Peter wrote two letters to the Christians that had been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire because of the persecution. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'll be with you here in just a minute. Now, although these two letters from Peter are short, sorry, They are abundant in both information and inspiration, especially to intensely persecuted church. In these two short letters, I believe that we get a snapshot of what became important for Peter after Jesus had ascended into heaven, and he shares it with the early believers in just seven verses here, right, in 1 Peter chapter 1. So let's see what Peter has to say, starting with verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be, found to resu- may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And after reading Peter's words, I think we had to sum up what he wanted his readers to focus on. If we were only used one word of what he wanted them to zero in on, I think it would be the word eternity. Now, there's a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 where the apostle Paul is talking about the second coming of Christ. And in two different, two separate occasions, he uses this phrase, we who are alive and remain. And it indicates that he believed, Paul believed he he would still be alive when Jesus came back. And I'm sure Peter believed the same thing, just like the other disciples did. They were working passionately to make disciples throughout the world, to, to make sure they believed and had heard about Jesus, because they believed that the return of Jesus was imminent, which meant that we only have a little bit of time before it's too late. He's coming back soon, so we got to get out there and tell everybody about it, tell as many people as we can, because he told us to spread it to the ends of the earth. 
right before or right after the ascension of Jesus, the persecution of Christians began in mass. It started with the Jewish religious leaders, a group that the apostle Paul was part of originally. But after that, he got picked up by the Romans. These people, they had to, they had to stop it. They had to, to put a stop to this revolution. See, they had brought false charges against Jesus and they killed him in order to stop this movement that he started. And so once they got rid of him, man, now we got to move to his followers. We got to get rid of all these people talking about this because if they could do that, they could put a stop to the way. They could, put, they could maintain some order in this empire, not let this take over. Because of all that, following Jesus, it wasn't easy. I mean, following Jesus, it, it might cost you everything. It might cost you your possessions. It might cost you your faith. It could even cost you your life. And Peter knew that firsthand. And so he writes these two letters to encourage these persecuted Christians who were suffering under the prejudice and hatred of the empire. And that's why in chapter 3, Peter tells him, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That's why he says in chapter 4, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. That's why in chapter 5, he tells him to resist the devil, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brother's throughout the world. And that's why he says right after that in verse 10, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter's words to the Christians that day, of that day, are the same for Christians of every age throughout history, and it's the same, they're the same words for us living as Christians today. Whatever you're going through, whatever is going on through you, whatever is going on in you or around you, always remember, always remember that we're all, all headed for eternity. And Peter says, when you look at your life in these troubled times, remember what we have in Christ for eternity. And while our lives today are not filled with the same persecution that Peter's original audience had to endure, we can still take encouragement from his words in these seven verses that we just read. Friends, we can be encouraged because we have a living hope. When we come to Christ and we put our, salvation, or put our trust in, alone, in him alone for salvation, it, which includes repentance followed by baptism and immersion, we transfer our allegiance from death to life. We are born again to a living hope by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter, he denies the Lord three times, after which he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And when Jesus died, Peter wasn't anywhere near the cross. But, but he was there to see the resurrection. He was there to see him after the resurrection. He saw the empty tomb. He had a personal meeting with Jesus. He saw the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. And so when he got up to preach on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he preached the first gospel message, not about a dead man, but about a living Savior. Peter knew Jesus was alive. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, 
loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And of that, we are all witnesses. Peter was convinced that his hope was not in a dead man. It was in a resurrected, living, reigning Lord. And one translation of 1 Peter 1.3 reads like this, God has given us new life and a hope that lives on. We have a living hope. We can also be encouraged because we have an imperishable inheritance. I don't know, an inheritance is kind of a thing that it seems like it's kind of going away these days, but I don't know if you've ever received why I have not. In plain language, an inheritance is something that someone who has passed away has left for you to have after they're gone. It could be money or it could be property like land or a house. It, it could be uh, something, some other physical item like a family heirloom. Now, like I said, I've never received one. Thankfully, my parents are, and my parent-in-laws are still alive. And, well, I've never had that like rich uncle that you never talk to in your life but then leaves you like a million dollars. Never been that lucky. You know, one of my father-in-law's favorite things to say when they spoil us on vacations, me and my family, or when, when they take us out to dinner, they say, uh, well, we're just spending your inheritance now. That's basically what we're doing here. And, you know, I, I'm kind of okay with that, you know? Like, I, I think I'd, I'd rather choose the memories today over their stuff or their money later. But even more than that, even more than any inheritance that you could ever get, even more than the million dollars that the rich uncle could ever leave you, man, I look forward to being in full reception of an imperishable inheritance. It's being carefully washed over for me in heaven, even though though I don't even really know what it is. You know, maybe it's that mansion we talked about last week with a bowling alley and an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Man, how great would that be? But I felt like that story is a little bit of a cautionary tale for a preacher last week because I might also be looking forward to an old shack down a side alley. You know, you know what, maybe we like to think about it and we like, man, maybe it's like bags and bags of gold. But then I'm like, I don't know if really I want my inheritance to be just like heavenly asphalt. Like, man, I want more than that. Give it a minute, all right? Or maybe it is something so spectacular and so unexpected that it's going to take thousands and thousands of years to enjoy. Whatever it is, it serves as a reminder to me, to all of us, that nothing in this life could ever compare to it. That nothing in this life is worth holding on to or fighting over or hoarding in view of the great value of what God has in store for you and for me to possess. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And we know that our inheritance is imperishable. And that means it's not affected by the natural laws of entropy and will never die. We know that our inheritance is undefiled, which means it's absolutely perfect. And it'll never rust or corrode or crumble. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, that neither moth nor rust will touch it. And we know that our inheritance is unfading, which means that it will never lose its beauty or its value. We have an imperishable inheritance. We have a living hope, and we have an inexpressible joy. Do you find more, do you find that in your life it's easier to to find joy in things, find, find things to be joyful about, or more to be sad about? 
You know, it probably depends on the day, right? Depends on whether your shoelace broke in the parking lot this morning. You know, Peter acknowledges this ongoing battle in this life between joy and sorrow. And these days, let's be honest, it doesn't take much to steal our joy. But as much as it seems like our country is headed in the opposite direction than it should be, our difficulties, let's be honest, they, they, they pale in comparison to those, the, the things that people are going through in other countries and have gone through in other times in history. Man, the Roman Empire was no joke. And the Christians that Peter was writing to, they were being hammered by the persecution of those Romans. But though we might not have it as bad as those first century Christians, we do live in an age where we are troubled by many things on the news. We're troubled by many things that we see on social media. We're troubled by many of the things that are around us. Things like physical pain, things like psychological battles or emotional letdowns, things like relational breakups, things like spiritual griefs over what is going on in this world as well as spiritual grief over loved ones who don't have that relationship with Jesus. All of us, all of us are going through things like this. And it's really hard sometimes. It doesn't matter if you have a relationship with Jesus or not. It is hard sometimes to endure the trials of this world. But these things, they serve to strengthen our faith to become more precious than gold, and it results in praise and glory and honor to our Savior. Peter, he's talking to a generation of believers. who They weren't there to witness the life of Christ like he was. They weren't there to be inspired by his teaching or, or to be moved by his miracles or to be emboldened by his sacrifice at Calvary. They hadn't seen Jesus. They hadn't been around Jesus, but they loved him. They loved him because of Peter's story and because of the stories of the other apostles and the other early believers that were there. They loved him because he was still alive and by his spirit, they too had been saved and changed. And their joy superseded the persecution they were going through and the temporary problems of this world. There was more yet to come because they had a living hope. They had this risen Savior. Their joy was not centered on the present. Their joy was centered on the future. And John, he gives us a brief description on what is waiting for us in Revelation 21. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Everything will be made new. And I think it's going to be so different from what we know here. I mean, it's going to be so different that we can't even comprehend or understand its greatness on this side of heaven. We can't even think about what it's going to be like because it's going to be so magnificent, like something we've never even seen before. I struggle to imagine how amazing the future could even be without the stink of sin covering everything. One thing I do know is it's going to be awesome. The last way we can find encouragement is because we have a great salvation. You know, contrary to what you might have heard, what you might have been told is that this life is not your best life now. And it will never be unless you die without Christ. And if you plan to die without Christ, now, 
you might not believe that you're going to hear a preacher say this, but if you plan to die without Christ, man, you need to go out and start living it up as much as you can. You need to find every corner and find every pleasure and experience it to its fullest in this world. Man, you've got to get out there because this is it. This is your peak moment. If you die, plan to die without Christ, this is all you're going to ever have. This is your mountaintop. Because here's the thing, when you die without Christ, once it's over, it's all going to go downhill real quick. This life without Christ is all that we have. For as flawed as it is, that's all you have. This is your best moment. So if you're going to die without Christ, then go out there and live it up because you better get it in now. So the problem with exchanging a great life now, making this your best life now, Exchanging that for an eternity without Christ, man, in the grand scheme of things, this life is really nothing. That's the problem. Like, if it is thinking of the short term and only the short term, you're putting your hope in the temporary without Christ. This life is nothing without him. James says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time in the vanish. This life in the grand scheme of things is so short Eternity is so long and this life is so short. And so you can exchange the eternal spring of living water for a tiny mist, but I just feel like you're going to regret it. Man, we, you can try to have your cake and eat it too in this world. You know, dive into the world and, and go to every, and, find, and live up all your desires and pleasures and experience all of it and then try to come back right at the very end, right? Just step in line right at the very end. Like, I'm gonna do all I can. I wanna experience everything. I wanna have so much fun and then I, I, I'll get there eventually. And then right in, I'll just jump into line and I'll be going to heaven too. But the problem with that philosophy, the problem with that strategy or that plan is look at that top line there in James. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And so that plan's great, right? You can make that plan and say, I'm good. I'll come in right at the very end. After I've done everything, after I have my fun, I'll come in at the end, except you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Man, that is a risky plan because what if you don't make it to tomorrow? Or what if you never come back? It's a risky game, my friends. And that is just in addition to the risk of being spit out by Jesus for trying to be lukewarm and play both sides. For those of us who have this great salvation through Jesus, we have the security and the knowledge that our best life is still to come. That our best life is later. And that's what gets us through the trials of this world, the, the persecution of this world is knowing that whatever happens in this world, man, the best is yet to come. Now, we don't have any direct references to Peter using this phrase, great salvation, but the writer of Hebrews said, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. Now, this great salvation, it has many tenses. And what I mean by that is we can say that we were saved, we can say that we are being saved, and we can say that we will be saved. Like when we first trusted and obeyed Christ, we were saved from the penalty of sin. Like as we live our life by the Spirit, we are being saved from the power of sin. And when we finally get to heaven, we will be saved by the very presence of sin. Friends, this really is a great salvation. 
You know, a few verses down in our text in 1 Peter, he tells us that the salvation is so mysterious and so incredible that even the angels long to know more about it. I mean, they had to be confused. How could this holy, perfect God, their master, why would he ever send his only son to live and to die on a corroding earth just to save a sinful and betraying people? I mean, it truly is baffling, isn't it? I mean, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us to exist. He doesn't need us to be complete or to be happy or to be fulfilled. He didn't need to create us or or to give us such a special and amazing place like this earth to live on. But he's a God of free will. And so he chose to. He chose to do all those things. Though he did not need to, he chose to. He chose to create us in his image. He chose to take care of us in so many different ways. He chose to send his son to save us from the consequences of sin. He chose to give us all of this in heaven too. And I'm so thankful for Peter's faithfulness all the way to the end of his life. He is definitely a life that was changed by Jesus and used by God to teach us how to follow Jesus all the way into eternity question is this morning, where will you spend eternity? Will you devote your life to Jesus and live with the freedom of knowing that the best is yet to come? Or are you going to put your faith in this world and take your chances after that? Because for as much as this world has to offer, as much as it tells you that it can satisfy all of your desires and all of your needs and all that you want, it pales in comparison to the great salvation that awaits us. Friends, we are here this morning, and this is the time. Where will you spend eternity? Will you spend it with Christ, with the best yet to come? Are you putting your hope in this world that you will die without Christ, and this is the the best it will ever get? This is the best moment. Man, that is hard. That is a flawed thing, because this world is hard. It's a terrible place sometimes. And what gets me through as a Christ follower so many days is knowing that the best is yet to come. And if you're here this morning and you're trying to play both sides, man, I believe in the promise that the Holy Spirit was brought here to convict us. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you in your life that you need to stop trying to play both sides of the aisle, I I beg you to listen to that conviction and say, you know what? I'm throwing that away, and I want to follow Jesus with all of my life, knowing that the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father God, I am in all of your love. I don't, it doesn't make sense. This is a great mystery. Why? Why, though you did not need us for any of this? You don't need us to be happy. You don't need us to be fulfilled. You don't need us for any reason. Yet you chose to create us. Yet you choose to bless us. Yet you chose to to send your only son, Jesus, because you loved us so much. You loved the whole world so much that while we were still dead in our sin, you chose to send your only son, Jesus, to pay the price for all of our sin because you chose to spend eternity with us in heaven. You chose to give us heaven so we could be with you forever. And Father, you chose to resurrect Jesus on the third day so that we could have a living hope 
You chose to show that you stand above all the other worldly religions because we have a risen, risen hope. We have a living hope. We do not worship a dead man. No, we worship a risen Savior. Father, we celebrated that last week, but I pray that it would be a celebration every Sunday, that it would be a celebration every day of our lives, that our faith is not dead that it is living and active, and it is working through each one of us. So Father, for those of us that are following you, I pray that we would feel a conviction to lead a Christ-like life, but also to, to reach others because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And I pray that we would try to reach others for your son, Jesus, because this world is so disappointing in so many different, so many different ways. And there are so many that don't have this hope. They are hopeless. I pray that, that we would be motivated and inspired to reach them so that they too know that the best is yet to come, that they can endure the trials of today knowing that there's, more, there's better to come tomorrow. <laughs> Father, for those that are here this morning that don't have a relationship with you, I know that you're standing there arms wide open. And I pray that we would soften our hearts and come to you run right into your arms and make the decision to follow you with our life, whether it's for the first time or whether we did it a long time ago and we need to come back home, I pray that we would listen to the conviction and come to you. For those of us here this morning that are trying to live both ways, I pray that your spirit would convict us and that we would throw away the ways of this world and focus fully on your son Jesus, knowing the sacrifice that has been paid for each one of us. Father God, I thank you so much for your love, and I th thank you for your amazing grace. And most of all, I thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.